The next item of business is First Minister's questions, and I call Douglas Ross. Thank you very much, Presiding Officer. On this, the 11th of November, we pay tribute to those who gave so much and sacrificed their lives to protect us. And we thank those currently serving in our armed forces and all of the veterans across our country for everything they've done to keep us safe. For months, we've seen tragic cases of people waiting far too long for emergency help. We heard this week of 55-year-old Richard Brown. He lost his life after waiting five hours for an ambulance. In his final moments, he was alone in the stairwell of his tenement building, struggling to breathe. A neighbour repeatedly called for an ambulance, and the final time they checked on Richard, they saw his ears had turned white and he'd stopped breathing. Deputy First Minister, why is this happening in Scotland today? Deputy First Minister. President, so before I come to the substance of Mr Ross's question, uh, can I say that uh, as a parliament and as a country today, we fell silent to mark Armistice Day. In doing so, we pay tribute to armed services personnel, both past and present, and we remember those who paid the ultimate sacrifice. This year marks 100 years of the Royal British Legion Scotland and the Scottish Poppy Appeal in that time. The appeal has supported countless servicemen and women, veterans and their families. I know I speak for everyone in the Chamber in offering our thanks and our continued support for their efforts to the Scottish Poppy Appeal and the important work that they and the Royal British Legion Scotland do for us all and especially for service personnel. Uh, today, first, uh, President Officer, I am answering questions on the First Minister's behalf as she is at the Conference of the Parties in Glasgow. Uh, Mr Ross raises a serious issue uh, in relation to Richard Brown. And I first of all want to express my sympathy to Mr Brown's family because Mr Brown should not have had the experience that he had. And I am very sorry that Mr Brown's family are enduring the added agony that they are having to endure uh, in addition to the, uh, the loss of Mr Brown. An investigation into the circumstances relating to the delay in reaching Mr Brown um, has been launched and all findings and lessons will be shared with Mr Brown's family as part of that process. To move then to the general questions, I think some of the, uh, the, the issues that... Uh, well, first of all, I recognise the enormous pressures faced by the Scottish Ambulance Service and the Government has been clear in that recognition. I think part of the explanation, perhaps, is from the level of demand that has been placed on the Scottish Ambulance Service um, as a consequence of the pressures that there are on the whole healthcare system within Scotland. As an illustration of that, in August 2018, the Scottish Ambulance Service responded to 5,788 immediately life-threatening incidents. By October 2021, that figure had reached 10,733. It had almost doubled. Now, I say that simply to explain and quantify the pressures that the Scottish Ambulance Service is under. The Government has provided increased investment of £20 million to support the staff, uh, and staff recruitment is underway. Uh, we will continue to invest in the work of the Scottish Ambulance Service to make sure it has the capacity to undertake the tasks that it needs to undertake and to ensure that other families don't have the experience of Mr Brown's family. Douglas Ross. 
The problem is, Deputy, Deputy First Minister, other families are having that experience because this isn't the first time in this chamber that I have raised a distressing case like Richard Brown's. We've raised several of these cases of lives unnecessarily lost. This week, Dr John Thompson of the Royal College of Emergency Medicine told a Scottish Parliament committee that excessive waiting times are resulting in avoidable deaths. He laid out the grim facts. For every 67 people that wait at A&E for more than eight hours, somebody dies. If we look at just the last two months, according to Dr Thompson's estimate, there will have been more than 200 avoidable deaths. Lives are being lost that could have been saved. Will the Deputy First Minister therefore accept that the Scottish Government simply isn't doing enough to support our emergency health services in their time of greatest need? Deputy First Minister. The, the, the research that uh, Mr Ross cites is based on data and experience within the ambulance service uh, and experience within England. And we are engaging with uh, Mr Thompson to establish the comparability issues that will arise out of that information. But what I would say to, to Mr Ross is, first of all, I, I don't want in any way for it to be um, suggested that I'm not recognising the pressures that there are on the health service in general and the ambulance service in particular, because I acknowledge that at the outset of all of my answers, uh, which is why the government has put in place increased investment of £20 million. We've seen already 179 new staff joining the Scottish Ambulance Service over the course of the last two months, and that will rise to 356 by the spring. Uh, the Scottish Ambulance Service budget has risen under this government. It's had sustained investment over the course of our period in office. But what we have to do is make sure that we in, uh, take forward a series of measures at every stage in the health service to try to reduce the immediate burden on the National Health Service. So that means we've got to have whole system solutions in place about boosting social care capacity to make sure that people are better supported in their own homes and therefore have less need to use uh, the Scottish Ambulance Service, or about ensuring that uh, we have uh, improvements in the level of delayed discharges, which is a focus of great attention by the Health Secretary and by COSLA, on reducing delayed discharges so that our hospitals are less congested, and crucially, that we can make sure that people have a swift journey through accident and emergency when they are required to be there. Now, these issues are all the subject of ongoing attention uh, by the Health Secretary and by Ministers. Uh, the Health Secretary met with the Scottish Ambulance Service yesterday on these questions, and that dialogue will continue. Douglas Ross. The dialogue has to continue, but we need action from that dialogue, because this morning there are worrying reports from paramedics and ambulance staff that they are at breaking point. A survey found that more than half of ambulance staff here in Scotland have seen patients die or become seriously ill because of long waiting times. Pat Rafferty, Secretary of Unite Scotland, said, and I quote, the workers at the Scottish Ambulance Service are sending out their own 999 call to the Scottish Government, saying that they are undervalued, stressed and exhausted. How will the Scottish Government answer that emergency call? Deputy First Minister. I think it is very important, given the fact that ambulance personnel, as with many in the health service, um, uh, are dealing on a constant basis with trauma. And over the last 18 months, the experience of trauma by our health service professionals has been even greater because of the significant burden of COVID. 
which is why the Government has invested £12 million in supporting the well-being of members of staff, because we have to have a healthy staff if we want to have a healthy population. Those individuals have to be able to exercise their functions and their responsibilities and be supported in so doing. So I've seen the survey evidence that Mr Ross cites uh, this morning. Uh, I'm troubled by it because, quite clearly, I want staff to, to feel valued. I, I hope they, well, I, I want staff to feel valued. I, I, I can say it from, uh, from this podium. Uh, we can reinforce it by the investment that we make. Over the course of this Government's period in office, investment in the Scottish Ambulance Service has risen by 74 per cent. Staffing has increased by 62 per cent. But I acknowledge there are significant demands and pressures on the Scottish Ambulance Service. So we have put in place uh, that investment. We are seeing staff numbers rise. Uh, the staff are doing a magnificent job in really difficult circumstances. And I give them the assurance that the Government is not looking at the challenges just about the Scottish Ambulance Service, because the self-same staff that completed that survey to which Mr Ross refers will also be aware that meeting the challenges they face requires a whole health, system, health service system solution, which is about social care, accident emergency, tackling delayed discharges, and these are all the issues that the Government is prioritising. Douglas Ross. The Deputy First Minister is right. This is not just about ambulance staff, but workers across our NHS, including nurses who are considering strike action. Doctors, medical students, paramedics, nurses, everyone in the NHS are all desperately trying to save lives, but they don't have the resources they need. They are crying out for help. Frontline staff have sent out their own 999 call to this government. Scotland's NHS needs more support. This winter is going to be its toughest ever test. There's an extra £605 million coming to the Scottish Government this year. How much of that money will his government commit to Scotland's NHS right now? Deputy First Minister. Mr Ross will appreciate that, uh, although I used to be close to decision-making on financial issues, I am no longer the Finance Secretary. So uh, I will leave, leave those questions for the Budget, which will take place on the 9th of December. But what I can say to Mr Ross is this. Employment in the National Health Service has never been higher than it is today. There has been a consistent increase in employment in the National Health Service in all areas of responsibility. I talked about the Scottish Ambulance Service personnel a moment ago, in consultants, in nurses, in every area of the National Health Service there has been growth in the number of staff recruited and employed. Employment in the National Health Service has never been higher. On the question of pay, our nurses are the best paid in the United Kingdom and we have given the best offer of an increase to nurses. Now, I appreciate that uh, there are uh, many strains within the National Health Service and many strains that members of staff are feeling. But what I want to make absolutely clear today is that the Scottish Government values every single individual that makes a contribution to the operation of the National Health Service. We applaud what they are doing in very difficult circumstances. We give them the assurance that we will resource them to enable them to be able to continue to do that work so that together we can, as a country, overcome the enormous burdens that we have faced with COVID and ensure we support the population to health and we need the National Health Service to deliver on that objective. Question number two, Anna Sarwa. Hey, officer, today, on the 11th of November, we honour and remember those who have served 
and serve in our armed forces. We pause to reflect on their duty and courage and to make clear that those have made their ultimate sacrifice, that we will always remember them. We should also thank our armed forces for all their incredible contributions throughout uh, this COVID pandemic. Um, I want to go back to the issue of the National Health Service, because, to be frank, um, the answers weren't good enough. They were just words, and what we need is action. Last Saturday, a 55-year-old man, Richard Brown, died on the stairs of his tenement in Glasgow. Mr Brown had waited five hours for an ambulance that didn't arrive. Our NHS is in crisis. Mr Brown is not the first avoidable death this winter, and if action isn't taken, he will not be the last. People are dying not because we don't have the treatments to help them, but because help isn't coming fast enough. And even when an ambulance does arrive, people are spending hours sat outside of hospitals waiting to be seen. The support announced by the government in September is not good enough and isn't making a difference. So when will the government come forward with a sufficient package of support so that we can prevent unnecessary suffering and deaths this winter? Deputy First Minister. Presiding officer, uh, in my answers to Douglas Ross, and I, I will of necessity reiterate some of those points because they relate directly to Mr Brown. Um, the, the circumstances uh, of Mr Brown and uh, what his family has experienced is unacceptable and the matter is being investigated and I extend my sympathies to Mr Brown's family. Part of the reason why the ambulance service is under so much pressure is because of the significant increase in demand for its services, because of the increase in demand in general for healthcare services as a consequence of the pandemic. The pandemic has put enormous strain on the NHS workforce, who have performed magnificently throughout an incredibly difficult 18-month period. But, uh, and there will continue to be demands placed on them because of the fact that we are going into winter. So the government has responded to that by putting in place £20 million of increased investment just in September. Uh, new staff have been recruited and are now operating within the Scottish uh, Ambulance Service. Um, we have seen an increase in the budget consistently of the Scottish Ambulance Service over the period in which this Government has been in office. And we will continue to have dialogue with the Scottish Ambulance Service about how we can support their efforts. We've obviously uh, secured some military assistance, as Mr Sarwar properly paid tribute to, uh, to assist us in that task. So the Government is taking the necessary action to address these circumstances. We want to ensure that every individual is able to receive the health care they require in the appropriate circumstances, and that is the focus of the investments the Government is making. Given that answer from the Deputy First Minister, you can understand why 88% of the staff say they do not feel valued by the Scottish Government. You can understand why 98% of the staff say that the announcements in September were insufficient. And we hear all the talk about record numbers of staff. The facts are this. 79% of the staff believe that they are understaffed and not enough of them. Listen to NHS staff. Don't ignore them. And I'm sorry, Deputy First Minister, COVID can't be the cover. These are pressures that were existing in the National Health Service even before COVID. Yes, COVID has exacerbated the problems, but let's not pretend these problems started with COVID. Because that survey released this morning by Unite the Trade Union it outlines the challenges faced by ambulance service staff and the pressures they are under and the risks that means for patients. More than 70% of the staff said that their calls had taken more than six hours to complete. 
A shocking 16% of staff said that at least one of their calls had taken over 20 hours to complete. More than half said that delays had led to an adverse clinical event. That's a situation like a patient having a cardiac arrest in an ambulance when they could have been in the hospital. And the Deputy First Minister points to that government's announcement in September. 98% of staff say that is insufficient. Paramedics have made clear that they need a commitment from the government of a maximum 30-minute turnaround so that ambulance staff are saving lives, not queued outside hospitals. Will the Deputy First Minister, if he's sincere about actions, not words, make that commitment today? Deputy First Minister. It's, I think, abundantly clear that I and the government want to make sure that ambulance time and capacity is used as efficiently and effectively as we possibly can do. Ambulances waiting at accident and emergency and not out collecting patients and providing support in the community are ambulances that are not in the right place. So the government is intensely focused with the Scottish Ambulance Service on making sure that ambulances are operating in an efficient and an effective way so they are not delayed by um, congestion in the accident and emergency departments. But as I said to Mr Ross a moment ago, all of this is tied up with the fact that this is, uh, there is a whole system solution required. We need to make sure that patients are able to leave hospital to go into the community with social care packages. We need to make sure that accident and emergency has got the capacity to ensure patients can be moved from A&E into hospital wards if they need to be or to be discharged as efficiently as possible. That's why the government put in place a £300 million NHS and winter care package back in September about recruiting an extra 1,000 NHS staff, about making sure there was £40 million for step-down care, that there was £60 million to maximise the, the capacity of care at home services, there was £48 million available to boost the pay of social care staff to make sure we can deliver more social care packages, and £28 million to support primary care and community solutions. So all of that investment has been made right across the health service to make sure that the Scottish Ambulance Service can make its contribution as efficiently and effectively as it possibly can do. So I assure Mr Sarwar and the public that the government is absolutely determined to ensure that we use all of the resources available to us to make sure individuals receive the care they require. Anna Sarwar. The Deputy First Minister says that the system is broken. Who's been in charge of the system? You've been in government for 14 years. Let's not pretend this is some kind of new problem that has just appeared. And he lists all the actions from September. I repeat, 98% of the ambulance service staff say that that response is insufficient. So let's be absolutely clear. People are dying because of these choices. And NHS staff have been warning about them long before COVID. Because there's a pattern here. The Royal College of Nurses tell us there's not enough nurses. The government deny it. Emergency medicine doctors say that delays are causing deaths. No acknowledgement of that from this government. Consultants are telling us that hospitals need at least 1,000 more beds to keep up with demand. This government cut beds by 1,300 over the last decade. And patients are telling us of long delays at A&E. And the health secretary's answer, tell patients not to go to A&E. The problem here isn't patients or staff. The problem is this out-of-touch and hopeless government that is presiding over a crisis in our NHS. So I ask again, what will it take for this government to act? 
Why does this government believe that they know best and not the nurses, the doctors and the paramedics on the front line of our NHS? Deputy First Minister. I'm afraid Mr Sarwar is absolutely in denial about the impact of COVID on our National Health Service. That is the problem in this exchange. Mr Sarwar seems to think that the challenges we face in our National Health Service today are somehow unique to Scotland. Every single healthcare system in the Western world is facing the same problems, yet apparently, according to Mr Sarwar, the impact of COVID is irrelevant to that process. I am not going to accept that skating situation that we face. The Government has made the investment to engage in discussion with trade unions, with employees, with health boards, with the ambulance service, to make sure we have all the capacity in place to deliver on these services. But what we have to recognise, and that is why the Government is taking the cautious steps that we are taking about COVID, some of which members of this Parliament tell us not to take, that some people are not prepared to support us when we take those steps. We do them to protect the people of this country and will make no apology for doing that. Move on to supplementary questions, and I call Emma Harper. Thank you, President Officer. I welcome that Annan in Dufres and Galloway has been selected for the Climate Action Towns programme, which will empower communities to engage in collective climate action, taking account of the unique challenges and opportunities each town faces. Given the flooding Annan experienced just last week, which washed away two of the town's footbridges in an unprecedented water levels, can the Deputy First Minister outline further detail on how the Climate Action Town programme will work to help tackle the global climate emergency? Deputy First Minister. Uh, Presiding Officer, the uh, Climate Action Towns programme will um, work to support communities so that they can influence the uh, steps that are taken to create better resilience against the climate. I saw firsthand last week the, uh, the damage that had, been, uh, that had taken place in Annan. Uh, there was a tremendous community resolve to address those issues, as there had been a tremendous community resilience operation to protect households and businesses as a consequence of the families, but of the, of the flooding. But fundamentally, the Climate Action Towns programme will empower local communities to be able to take more of these decisions and to resource them to undertake that activity. Douglas Lumsden. Uh, thank you, President Officer. Um, at the Finance Committee on the 31st of August, the Cabinet Secretary for Finance and Economy gave the following commitment. The A9 is still going to be duelled and the A96 is referred to in the cooperation agreement in terms of the priorities of the next few years. But in the chamber yesterday, the Minister for Public Finance, Tom Arthur, when questioned by Fergus Ewan and J.B. Halcrow-Johnson, could not give any commitment. So can I ask the Deputy First Minister, will the A96 be fully duelled by the 2030 commitment date? Yes or no, Deputy First Minister? Deputy First Minister. Presiding officer, the, the, the member referred to um, the A9 and the A96. The A9 programme continues apace. I was delighted that the latest stage of the duelling of the A9 was opened recently in my own constituency between Lunkerty and the Pass of Burnham, and it's made a huge uh, difference to the local community. Um, uh, the issues in relation to the A96 are covered in the partnership agreement. 
which, uh, which uh, to sets out uh, transport enhancements on the A96 corridor, including duelling from Inverness to Nairn, bypassing of Nairn, Keith, Elgin and Inverurie, accompanied by measures to remove through traffic from bypass town centres, targeted road safety improvements where needed between Falkabers and Huntley and Inverurie to Aberde uh, Aberdeen. Uh, the current plan is to fully duel the A96 route between Inverness and Aberdeen, but we agreed to conduct a transparent evidence-based review to include a climate compatibility assessment to assess direct and indirect impacts on the climate and the environment, and that will report by the end of 2022. Michael Mara. Thank you, President Officer. In February, after the Chief Executive of NHS Tayside cast doubt on the future viability of breast cancer services in Dundee, the First Minister promised Parliament that she would act on the unfolding crisis. Instead, as reported in The Courier this morning, a further resignation of a senior consultant has left the service on the brink of collapse and in urgent need of external support. This has been a catastrophic failure of leadership on behalf of the Board and this SNP Government. What has to happen? How many lives will be put at risk before this government steps up with a plan that guarantees the future of this vital service? Deputy First Minister. I, I, I honestly don't think Mr Mara is serving the people he represents well by expressing this issue in that fashion. The, in, uh, after, February, after, February, after February, a new consultant was appointed in NHS Tayside to provide this service. There is ongoing recruitment for a further post and there is ongoing clinical support provided by NHS Grampian. So I hope that provides the reassurance to members of the public in the Tayside area that Mr Mara's unfortunate expression of his question certainly did not. Christine Graham. Uh, thank you, Presiding Officer. Deputy First Minister, a constituent received this text, and I quote, NHS, you are now eligible to apply for your NHS COVID pass. Failure to apply may result in a fine. Please apply for your COVID pass via, and then there was an address made to look like the NHS. Now, the constituent had the good sense not to click on the link, but since my office advised NHS borders and the police, there have been further instances. Can I ask what the Scottish Government is doing to alert the public to this more recent spate of scams? Deputy First Minister. So the, the Christine Graham is right to, to raise the issue. There are some reports of scam calls and texts related to COVID-19. Um, let me be absolutely clear that neither the Scottish Government or any other agency will text individuals to invite them to apply for a COVID pass or certificate. Um, Ofcom, the UK's communications regulator, have published information on the, their website on how to be vigilant against such activity, and any suspicious emails can be forwarded to the National Cyber Security Centre, um, and suspicious texts can be reported. But I would encourage members of the public uh, to, to be uh, vigilant uh, and follow the fact that neither the Scottish Government nor any other agency will text individuals to invite them to apply for a COVID pass or certificate. Craig Hoy. Uh, thank you, Presiding Officer. My constituent Norma from Durleton received her booster vaccine some time ago, but yesterday she received a fourth letter calling her for a jab. She has been a bit unable to cancel the appointment, but her 88-year-old neighbour has received no vaccine booster correspondence, and she too has faced problems getting through on the appointment line. And despite attending a mobile vaccine bus twice last Thursday in Gullen, she had to leave due to the length of the queues. So will the Deputy First Minister uh, urgently look into the ongoing problems in the vaccine booster scheme across the Lothians. 
Deputy First Minister. Presiding officer, the, the, the vaccine programme in general has been rolled out very, very effectively, and the booster programme is being rolled out across the country very successfully. Indeed, Scotland is the highest performing part of the United Kingdom in relation to the rolling out of the booster programme. However, there have been a number of issues in relation to NHS Lothian in connection with the appointment system with which we are familiar. Um, we, we are obviously in discussion with NHS Lothian. Our officials met with the Chief Executive of NHS Lothian earlier on this week to discuss these very practical issues that Mr Hoy raises with me. If he wishes to provide me with specific details, I will look into the case and try to resolve it. I am sorry for the inconvenience that his constituent has experienced. They should not have experienced that. So, in general, the programme is being rolled out well, but there, there are some challenges in NHS Lothian with the appointment system. Uh, we expect those to be resolved very shortly, uh, but if there is particular details he wishes to share with us, we will we'll, we'll act to resolve them. Alex Rowley. Thank you, President Officer. In Mid-Scotland and Fife, as across the whole of Scotland, I think, the numbers of people who have been assessed as needing care packages and not being able to access those care packages is growing by the day. At the COVID Recovery Committee this morning, Dr Donald McCaskill for Scottish Care was clear to the committee that the key factor in recruitment and retention issues is low pay. Whilst welcoming the £10 two per hour, he said it was not enough and it will not fix the problem. At the same committee, Dr Andrew Buse from the GPs said that the key issue that had to be resolved for this winter is the social care backlog and social care problems. So will the government, who are putting hundreds of millions of pounds into this area, will they listen to all these professionals from that sector and bring forward in the budget a care, a, care a, a wage increase for all carers in Scotland. Deputy First Minister. Um, Mr. Mr. Rowley has made a number of contributions to Parliament on this question, and a number of them I have handled, and we have discussed it at the COVID Recovery Committee. And, uh, I acknowledge uh, the significance of the point that he makes. It has formed part of my answers to both Anasawa and Douglas Ross, that if we can address and build the capacity of the social care workforce that will give us some ability to withstand some of the other pressures the National Health Service experiences. Uh, we have already put in place an increase to the salary of, social care work, of the social care workforce. Um, that has been put in place by the Government already to assist in the, resolving these issues. One of the other issues is the availability of people within our community. Um, Mr Rowley, I am sure, would accept that the ending of free movement of individuals across the European Union has diminished the size of the workforce available to us here in Scotland. It is posing a real and practical effect in a number of sectors. One of them is social care. That is why we encourage the United Kingdom to arrive at a more sensible position on free movement than it currently occupies. Question number three, Alex Cole-Hamilton. Thank you, Presiding Officer. On Armistice Day, it is incumbent on all of us to pay respects to those who have paid the ultimate price to protect this country and to protect our freedoms. Uh, can I ask the Deputy First Minister when the Cabinet will next meet? Deputy First Minister. On Tuesday. Alex Cole-Hamilton. 
Thank you very much for that answer. Presiding officer, there is a muscle memory to these exchanges. Week after week, opposition members ask the government about the crisis in emergency care, and week after week, the government respond by blaming the pandemic. They have doubled down. The Deputy First Minister has doubled down on that today by accusing Anas Sarwar of being in denial. And yet, the former outgoing Chief Executive of NHS Scotland said this crisis has been years in the making, but the pandemic has only hastened the date. I want the Deputy First Minister to put himself in the shoes of our hard-working emergency care staff. The call handlers answering repeated calls, asking again and again when the ambulance will come. Paramedics who are attending doors, knowing that behind that door is somebody who's been waiting in pain for hours on end. That must be absolutely traumatic. I have here a freedom of information response. We learned the number of ambulance staff hours lost to mental ill health is now up 300% since 2017. That's 40,000 hours between July and September alone. One paramedic told the Daily Record today, we feel as if we are failing the public, even though it is not our fault. Presiding officer, it is not their fault. So can I ask the Deputy First Minister to stop grasping at straws, to stop blaming the pandemic and accept that his government is letting these vital staff down? Deputy First Minister. I well, first of all, um, I value the contribution made by all healthcare staff to our National Health Service in all of its uh, component parts. Uh, we recognise the pressure on the well-being of members of staff. That's why we put in place the £12 million investment to make sure that staff well-being was supported and individuals could be uh, enabled to continue their activities. Um, I also uh, have to recognise, uh, as members of staff do, the significant impact that COVID represents on the operation of the National Health Service. And I think anybody that comes to Parliament and seeks to diminish the enormous impact of COVID on our National Health Service is not, is not recognising the reality of the situation we are facing. For those reasons, that is why we have put in the extra winter care package of resources. It is why we have uh, strengthened the resources available to the Scottish Ambulance Service. And it is why the Government will continue to invest as assiduously in the National Health Service as it has done since the minute this Government came to office, with a significant increase in the budget of the National Health Service over the length of this Government's term in office. Question number four, Fiona Hislop. Uh, to ask the Deputy First Minister whether he will provide an update on the work of the Under Two Coalition at COP26. Deputy First Minister. So the Under Two Coalition, of which the First Minister is the European co-chair, launched a new memorandum of understanding at the General Assembly this week, setting out a higher level of ambition for the coalition and committing the coalition to net zero by 2050. Um, the First Minister signed the MOU at the General Assembly this week, and 27 governments also signed up. Um, we endorse the new Further Faster Together statement outlining the actions members are already taking to meet their ambitious 2030 targets. 41 governments endorsed the statement demonstrating the leadership of these governments to this important objective. Fiona Hislop. Uh, I welcome the announcement made today of the trebling of support for climate justice. But can I ask, uh, what plans does the Scottish Government have to continue the discussions and networking established 
um, by the Glasgow Climate Dialogues, uh, as we will discuss in our lunchtime members' debate, beyond COP26. In particular, will it use its role as the European co-chair of the Under Two Coalition of Substates, Cities and Regions to promote a similar dialogue among all the Under Two members? And in doing so, will the Scottish Government advance issues such as the loss and damage fund with them, following the First Minister's announcement of a now Scottish £2 million loss and damage fund? Yes, small in amount, but significant in terms of leadership on this issue. Deputy First Minister. Uh, I am happy to confirm the, the Government's support for the objectives that Fiona Hislop has set out. Um, as European co-chair, Scotland is committed to, val to promoting values of justice and inclusivity. We hope to build a lasting legacy for COP26 by building a just transition alliance with members of the Under Two Coalition. We are also championing issues of global importance to mobilise increased action from our fellow members. And I recognise that there is a members' debate today, which will be initiated by Fiona Hislop. Um, it is uh, focusing on the, uh, ensuring that the Global South is heard and understood, and the Scottish Government and the, Scottish, uh, the Stop Climate Chaos Coalition has co-convened the Glasgow Dialogues to enable this to be the case. Um, this is, of course, the first members' debate in 14 years that Fiona Hislop has been able to lead in the Chamber because of her service as a Minister. And I cannot think of a more formidable parliamentary voice to be leading on this topic than Fiona Hislop. And I wish her well for the debate that is about to come. Thank you. Ariane Burgess. The International, the International Energy Agency says that development of new oil and gas fields must stop this year if we are to reach net zero by 2050, as advocated by the Under Two Coalition. That alone should rule out development of the Cambo oil field off the coast of Shetland. Cambo wouldn't only be bad for the climate, it would also be devastating for biodiversity. Sixteen marine and climate groups recently highlighted that the pipeline would cut through 22 miles of UK marine protected area and threaten hundreds of rare and ancient species in the Faroe Shetland sponge belt. Will the Deputy First Minister raise this issue with the UK Government in order to uphold the MPA designation for this important area? Deputy First Minister. President, officer, the, the issues in relation to Cambo are obviously for decision-making by the United Kingdom Government, and um, Ariane Burgess will be familiar with the fact that uh, the Scottish Government has made clear um, our desire for the UK Government to, uh, uh, to subject that particular development to a climate compatibility assessment, given the length of time that has taken place since its original consent. Uh, there will be specific issues in relation to uh, marine protection areas that would have to be the subject of statutory dialogue um, uh, were that uh, development to uh, take its course. But of course, the stance of the Scottish Government is to ask for a climate compatibility assessment to be undertaken before we get to that stage. Question number five, Liam Kerr. Thank you, President Officer. To ask the Deputy First Minister how the Scottish Government plans to meet the requirement for electric car charging points by 2030. Deputy First Minister. President Officer, over the past decade, this Government has invested more than £50 million in public charging points, creating one of the largest networks in the United Kingdom. We are working with industry, local authorities and technology suppliers to expand the network and, through a partnership approach, create opportunities for Scottish business, industry and communities. At the core of our approach is making sure that no one in no part of Scotland is left behind as we switch to electric vehicles. William Kerr. 
I thank the Deputy First Minister. I'm not sure that answer will give much confidence because latest figures show that of those already installed, the number of faulty charging points recorded this year far exceed those recorded in 2020. Nearly 40 charging units per week are registered broken. Now, the Press and Journal recently made an electric vehicle trip from John O'Groats to Glasgow ahead of COP26, and they found significant numbers of charging points, particularly in Aberdeenshire, broken or inaccessible, leaving EV motorists stranded. Scottish Chambers of Commerce say the situation is nowhere near good enough. So will the Deputy First Minister address these issues with Charge Place Scotland to ensure Scotland has working infrastructure to support the rollout of electric vehicles and meet our net zero targets? Deputy First Minister. Uh, this, this is an important issue and the transition has got to be made. It has got to be made effectively. Um, Scotland has the second highest number of public char charge points for electric vehicles per 100,000 of the population, second only to the City of London. Um, they, they have to be operational. And if Mr Kerr wants to f uh, furnish me with information about the uh, particular examples he's concerned about, I'll certainly make sure they're addressed. In relation to our dialogue with Charge Place Scotland, we will ensure that the issues that are raised here are raised with Charge Place Scotland in order to ensure that we have an effective network. But in terms of the investment, the Government is making sustained investment, which gives us the position that Scotland has the second highest number of public charge points for electric vehicles in any part of the UK other than London. Bill Kidd. It's okay. It's okay. Thank you. Uh, Mr Kidd does not wish to... To, to, to ask a question, I go on to question number six, which is Paul O'Kane. Um, to ask what steps the Scottish Government is taking in response to reports of an increase in turnaround times for ambulances offloading patients at a &E departments. Deputy First Minister. So the Scottish Government recently announced a package of support for the Scottish Ambulance Service backed by an additional £20 million, which will help increase capacity and improve response and turnaround times and staff wellbeing. This includes the recruitment of additional hospital ambulance liaison officers who provide targeted support to ambulances at our busiest A&E departments to reduce turnaround times. We are working with health boards to reduce handover times within A&E departments by putting in place a range of measures, including decompressing the A&E department by focusing on flow, implementing Scottish Ambulance Service arrival screens, and opening additional capacity for ambulances to safely and timorously offload patients. This will support our improvement journey, aiming to prevent ambulances being delayed at A&E departments. Paul O'Kane. In all of his answers to this subject, the Deputy First Minister has pointed to increased demand due to the pandemic. But I have statistics here from the Scottish Ambulance Service showing that turnaround times in A&E departments going back to 2014 have increased. In my own region, the Royal Alexandra Hospital in Paisley, ambulance turnaround times have doubled from 22 minutes in 2014 to 43 minutes in 2021. That is simply unacceptable. What these statistics demonstrate clearly is that the crisis in ambulance wait times began well before the pandemic, with wait times growing year on year. In answer to Anna Sarwar, the Deputy First Minister wouldn't commit to the maximum 30-minute turnaround time called for by ambulance staff. Can he tell the Chamber then what he thinks is an acceptable turnaround time for ambulances at A&E, and when is he going to listen to staff and get a grip of this crisis? Deputy First Minister. Well, I, 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 I've set out in my answers to Douglas Ross and Anna Sawar some of the substance of the issue, so I won't rehearse it again um, to Paul O'Kane. 
But one of the things that is uh, one of the important investments that we have made is the investment in the hospital ambulance liaison officer service. It has proven to be effective in a number of parts of the country to improve the, uh, the, the, the turnaround of patients uh, who have been brought to hospital by ambulances. Um, we have also uh, are expanding the capacity of the Scottish Ambulance Service, which is the investment that we have made. So the government is taking those practical steps in discussion with staff to ensure that we have the steps in place to ensure that people can be supported in, when they need access to ambulance services and that they do not spend any longer in the ambulance than they require. Now, obviously, that will vary depending on the conditions and the circumstances of individual patients as they arrive and as they are presented to hospital. But those clinical judgments that are made by, um, uh, by staff in the National Health Service are judgments that I trust and I rely upon to make sure that patients get the, the treatment and the care that they require. Sandesh Gulhani. Thank you. Deputy First Minister, you, you've just given a list of, of things that you are looking to do. Clearly, they are not working. Ambulance turnaround times are rising. Will you accept that the plans that you have put in place are not working and will you look to improve and actually make tangible differences to the ambulance turnaround times right now? Deputy First Minister. President Officer, the, the, the investment has been made and we are obviously seeing an expansion in the number of staff and personnel able to be working in the, in the Scottish Ambulance Service. We are also seeing the recruitment of individuals designed to support the flow of patients through accident, from ambulances into accident emergency and to, um, onto destinations either within the hospital or uh, to a return home. Now, Dr Gulhani will accept, I, I would have thought, that this is a whole systems issue. It involves the roles and responsibilities of general practitioners. It involves the roles of social care. It involves the role of hospitals. It involves the role of delayed discharges. It involves the role of accident emergency. And the government is taking sustained action in a number of areas to ensure that we deal with that within the context of a national health service that is under colossal pressure because of the impact of the pandemic. And we are working our way through those challenges to ensure that we meet the needs of patients in all circumstances. Question number seven, Claire Baker. Thank you. To ask the Deputy First Minister what his response is to the comments by the Lord Advocate to the Criminal Justice Committee on the potential for new proposals regarding the use of drug consumption rooms and whether non-prosecution is in the public interest. Deputy First Minister. Officer, the Lord Advocate's statement confirms a new opportunity for new proposals to be considered regarding safer drug consumption facilities. We have been clear on the benefits that safer drug consumption facilities would bring to reducing drug-related deaths in Scotland, and we are actively exploring how we can overcome the existing legal barriers that will allow us to progress the use of these facilities. There is clear evidence that these facilities mitigate the chances of a fatal overdose provide additional support, including that around reducing harm-related injection practices and allow for connection with wider treatment services. We see problem substance use as a public health issue, and there is a growing recognition of the harms that punitive drug policies cause. Providing individuals with options for treatment rather than a route into the criminal justice system is our priority. Claire Baker. 
Um, thank you. The statement from the Lord Advocate is very welcome, and I do welcome the Government's uh, commitment to look at a way to address this issue. Uh, we all recognise the significant problems that Scotland has with drug fatalities, and you know, we have been critical of the Government's approach to this so far, but we are looking to work constructively, and I hope the Lord Advocate will be able to move forward on this. He will be aware the plan previously from Glasgow City Health and Social Care Partnership was rejected by the previous Lord Advocate, so I am looking for some assurances that a proposal from the Government this time, although it wasn't you previously, the proposal will be robust um, and also an indication of when we can have some conclusions and a proposal will be brought forward. Deputy First Minister. Uh, I am very happy to give Claire Baker the assurance that the Government is taking forward active discussions to establish what could be an acceptable route to enable the um, the appropriate use of drug consumption rooms as part of a public health strategy to tackle the drugs uh, problems that we face in Scottish society. Uh, that involves a great deal of dialogue but, uh, with a range of different organisations, Police Scotland, uh, NHS Greater Glasgow and Clyde, um, the, the Crown and uh, various other organisations to ensure that we can establish uh, and propose uh, an appropriate and a sustainable route. Uh, so that work is underway. As for a timescale, if Claire Baker will forgive me, I, 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 I can't give a definitive timescale today, but I do assure her that that is being actively pursued as a consequence of the remarks made by the Lord Advocate. That concludes First Minister's questions. We will now move on to members' business.